The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Inside Out with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. Today's topic, do you want delicious food, a healthier body, mind, spirit, and a healthier planet? No problem. Who says you can't have it all? Listen to Laura Steck, our guest today, who's a chef, health consultant, and author of Cool Cuisine, taking the bite out of global warming. Laura says that we can have more delicious food, healthier bodies, and combat climate change all at once. And it's not hard. And she's got the expertise to back it up. Many of you were inspired by Laura when you heard her on our November 11th panel on climate change, and you wanted more of her culinary climate wisdom. So she's now back with us to share more about preparing and eating delicious and healthy food while doing things to combat climate change. She's got a six-pronged program that offers so many alternatives that you're bound to find something that works for you, whether it's the way you shop, eat, cook, or treat the soil. So whether you've made a New Year's resolution about healthier eating you want delicious tasting food, and or you care about the climate. So listen to this fascinating guest and call in your questions. And now here's Beth from the Inside Out. Hi, welcome everybody. Well, we are about to go into the new year. And as we know, people make lots of New Year's resolutions, which we don't keep and we don't actually expect ourselves to keep. So... (laughs) So here it is. Uh, One of the great things that we tend to make New Year's resolutions about is uh, our food, our diet. Um, For a lot of people, that's all about weight. You know, it's like, oh, I'm too fat. I ate too much over the holidays. I'm sick. I have to lose five pounds, 10 pounds, 100 pounds. Uh, But some people, it goes a little bit deeper. Like, oh, I need to start eating healthier food. I can't stand the way my body feels. And Oh, and are we going to keep these resolutions? Well, that depends on, of course, us and our will, but we also have to know how to do it. Now, one of the great things about our guest today, Laura Steck, is that she believes that food can be delicious and nutritious and nurture the body, mind, and spirit. And yes, actually nurture the spirit. We're probably going to talk about that too. But the cool thing about Laura and I'm not making a pun here by talking about the cool thing about Laura is that she's also really interested in global warming. And as James was saying in the intro, we had um, a wonderful panel, climate panel discussion, and um, that Laura spoke just eloquently about the connection between food and global warming. So... um, I couldn't even begin to tell you all of the wonderful things that she has to say. But the point is people got really excited and they were talking about her after the show. And I said, with this, we got to get this woman back. Uh, I almost called this show sharpening your knife for the new year. But uh, I I thought that might be a little bit awkward. So anyway, (laughs) people might misunderstand this. So, um, 
We have so much to learn from Laura today, and I'd um, love to invite her on now. And she is just going to be filling us with all kinds of valuable information. And I have to admit something, which is we, we have her book, uh, Taking the Bite Out of Global Warming, Cool Cuisine, Taking the Bite Out of Global Warming. And I have a lot of trouble with my vision, so James did the reading. And so he's going to be more informed, and he's going to take the lead on asking Laura intelligent questions. Uh, I'm going to, yes. yes. And by the way, I just want to interject here. on this panel. That's good to hear. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad someone knows what they're talking about. No, of course, I know what I'm talking about. I do. (laughs) I believe it. I believe it. Well, she's got the science to back it up. That's what I wanted to add here. It isn't just that she believes these things. She's done the science to back it up. I'm glad you said that, James. So backing up the backing up. Uh, let's let Laurie introduce herself because not only is it hard for me to read, but I have no memory. And so I'd much rather that she introduce herself rather than me making a fool of myself <laughs> talking about Laura and saying all the wrong things. So, Laura, welcome to Inside Out. Thank you. It's great to be back here. Thank you, Beth. And um, lovely to be back on your show. Happy holidays. To everybody, you. you know, this um, book, Cool Cuisine, Taking the Bite Out of Global Warming, is a great book for you because you don't have to even read. All you can do is, all you need to do is open the book up and look at the beautiful pictures and the graphs <laughs> that they did such a nice job on. And pretty much any page, you can learn something. My co-author, Dr. Eugene Cordero, who is the science, who did the, the backing up of the science, uh, really uh, came through. In fact, we still stand by uh, all of the... Um, all the claims uh, in the book, uh, I thought that global warming science would go out of fashion quickly, but it does not, and it's still a very up-to-date book, even though it came out in 2008. Well, that is amazing, and you know, you read my mind, which the first, one of the things I was going to ask you is, has much changed since you wrote that book, and I'm glad to know that it hasn't, so we can really recommend that people take a look at it, and I intend to enjoy the fruits of this book because James is going to sharp, sharpen his knife, right, James? Yes, and, in and, fact, and, I have a question right now I'd like to ask. Okay. The time is right. Why not? Go okay. for it. What is the difference between what you describe as global warming diet and cool cuisine diet? Ah, you know, it's funny. When the book first came out, my choice for the title was called The Global Warming Diet, Cool Recipes for a Hot Planet. But the global warming diet, of course, is the problem. It's what we're eating to create global warming. <laughs> and a good, um, well, geez, there are many different ways where how our food system affects global warming. And the publisher did, said, it, well, you don't want to be known for the problem. You want to be known for the solution. So the solution, of course, to the global warming diet would be a cool cuisine. And that would be foods that support uh, planetary health and certainly climate health. And it just so happens that the foods that are best for the planet are best for the animals and best, uh, healthiest, and even tastiest for us as humans. So as we're taking care of our own bodies, we're taking care of uh, the planet and the animals as well. You know, there's so much that we need to ask you about this, but before we do, I feel kind of called to ask you, when did you first get interested in food? Hmm. Well, when I was a kid, my parents used to travel all over the world, and they would bring back food, which you could still bring back at that time. Um, Now it's harder to bring back food, but back then there really wasn't an issue with it. 
and they bring back decorations, and I decorate the kitchen with, you know, the Chinese lanterns and use the Chinese food and uh, have a theme party at home. And I always said when I was a kid, if I went into the business of party planning, I would make a million because I've always <laughs> been a food partier. Uh, I enjoy a good celebration. I think that food is one of the vehicles that brings humans together, not only to eat of the banquet, but um, eat or enjoy each other, uh, uh, get filled by the energy not only of the food, but of the people that we are eating with. And I like that kind of opportunity to bring people together in a good discussion, such as a meal or such as this kind of show. You know, I really like what you're saying. Of course, for many of us, our experience has been just the opposite. The meal is the time that everybody sits with a TV tray and watches television, or... I don't know which is worse. The meal is the time that everybody who has resentments against one another sits at the same table and gets indigestion. <laughs> and, you know, the what you're talking about is as really honoring the food time as a time of uh, nurturance and mutual nurturance and mutual support. And sometimes food times are the time when we talk things over that we've been avoiding because we have to sit at the same table and look at each other. Absolutely. We are given an opportunity not only to fill our stomachs, which most of us are focused on, and that's um, a problem because eating and being filled and and getting full is not just about feeding our stomachs. Really true satisfaction, and we write about this in Cool Cuisine, is it's also satisfying of the head and the heart. Um, It's Mm -hmm. satisfying the mind and the spirit. And when we learn more about the stories of the food, whether it be from a health perspective or health of the planet or health of the farms, um, we start feeding those other areas of our body and um, we can become more satisfied. You know, surely if eating was just about feeding our stomachs, we would have been fed by now. Um, most mm. of us in this uh, country, not all of us, but uh, a good portion of us um, have plenty to eat. In fact, the issue with our country and, not, and even our world isn't um, uh, uh, malnutrition anymore. Uh, the, the, the largest problem is people are overnourished. They have too mm-hmm. much food. Um, it's not people that are underweight. Um, that we have more people that are overweight in the world now than are underwe- underweight. And is so we that know that the... we're missing something. Somehow, yeah. food alone, in eating just for the stomach, something we're doing wrong, and that's what we need to all um, look at. Well, what do you think? That Are you saying by, that in the whole world that's true? That we're, by the way, not overnourished, overfed and undernourished, right? Yes, yes, I'm sorry, overfed and yeah. undernourished. Yes, the WHO came out with that. I think it was two years ago oh, where really? we crossed a certain line wow. on the planet where now there are more overweight people than um, under, you know, than starving people. That's- and that's quite a serious uh, thing to look at because uh, though there are still starving people in the world, there are actually more people who are considered to be overweight. And why, and why is that? <laughs> I guess yeah, that's the yeah, question. Yeah, um, yeah. And there's a lot to talk about that, but I think the first thing, because uh, we'll say it a couple times, is you know we're, we're, we're focusing too much on certainly the meats, which many people have started to cut down on animal products, meats, uh, definitely beefs and and lambs seem to be the most detrimental to the environment, and certainly we know that beef is one of the hardest um, uh, things on our own bodies. Uh, But then we've really become a planet of 
uh, eaters in the first world uh, where we're eating a lot of processed food. We're, we're really eating um, flours and um, you know, gluten-free is uh, an issue for people definitely with celiac disease, but most of us aren't suffering from an actual disease. Most of us just eat too much flour. You know, the issue isn't gluten-free. When you're talking to someone, they're like, I'm gluten-free. You know, they shouldn't even be saying that. It's not about what flour you eat. It's not changing the flour from wheat flour to rice flour or barley flour or potato starch. It's um, eat more vegetables. We really want the center of the plate to be vegetables. And still, no matter what circles you go in, even the highly educated around food often, you find that potlucks are filled, uh, tables are filled with things that are basically flour-based, such as breads and crackers and um, crackers and cheese and pasta salads and, you know, things that have uh, flour incorporated into um, into the dish. And really, what we really want to learn about is how to eat more vegetables and make well, it taste good. What is our allergy to eating more vegetables? James, are you listening? James is the cook. Yes, in the I house. am. Yes, I am. He is the, by the way, before we get into James being the cook, I want to share something with you. We, uh, James has been our cook because I'm too disabled, uh, you know, to be able to do anything physical, including cooking. Or, so and then he had a, a situation, a health situation, and we had to hire somebody to come in and cook for us. Now, this woman, I wouldn't say is the healthiest cook in the world. I mean, you know, when she makes something with mayonnaise, it's more mayonnaise than anything else. But she's a, but notwithstanding all of that, she is a fabulous cook. You know, everything tastes wonderful. And my entire relationship with food changed overnight because I began to feel so much enjoyment and pleasure out of the tastes when I was uh, myself, by myself, I mean, I could barely make myself anything to eat. And it was just everything was bare. You know what I mean? <laughs> and yeah. uh, steamed vegetables, a baked potato. I mean, that was a good night. And, you know, if I wasn't starving. Um, and so it just, I, my enthusiasm about food has just like escalated. And um, it's, it adds such a wonderful dimension into, into life. And Yet, I haven't become any less interested in spirituality or in counseling or in doing music or anything else like that. But I feel the richness of being nurtured by really good food. And I'm, I want to say this because we may have some listeners out there who haven't had that experience yet, that you can really feel spiritually and emotionally nurtured, loved, by the way that you're eating, and so many people are still eating processed food or canned food or frozen food, and they're missing out on a glorious experience. You don't have to overeat, but you, it's wonderful to actually enjoy what you're eating. So I just wanted to put in a plug for food there. Uh, I'd like to add to that, too. Uh, <laughs> we eat almost entirely organic foods, which is what Laura recommends in her book. And we buy locally from farmer's markets yes. when we buy organic produce and uh, things like that. When we trained our cook to, to uh, uh, cook uh, sugar-free, and only, we use stevia, and uh, to use alternatives to wheat flour and uh, to cook organically. And she had to retrain herself to make uh, delicious foods that were healthy. Based on yes, organic food. She okay. has gotten so creative about desserts because I can't even eat much fruit. Uh, so it's very exciting because I really want to get people revved up to the idea that you can feel so much better emotionally 
when mm. you come to the table, and not only that, she oh, presentation. She actually bothered to put things on the plate or on platters, and they were so beautiful. And my whole feeling about this is why I'm so thrilled to have Laura on. My whole feeling about food has changed. You know, I used to be in completely in my head, an intellectual, a spiritual teacher, whatever it was, and I didn't really enjoy being in my body very much. So. <laughs> So this is mm-hmm. so Laura, I'm challenging you with the question. We have a couple minutes before break. Why don't we want more vegetables? And I'm challenging you, James, because mm-hmm. this is a place where our cook here, this James Maynard mm-hmm. cook here, mm-hmm. I want him to get more enthusiastic about vegetables and I want to hear all about <laughs> how because I know it's good good for us. And and then we're going to get into the climate change issue a little bit later. But we want to start with the delicious and the healthy. Uh, why do you <laughs> yeah, think me, that people you know, have let that? Let me answer your question about um, uh, vegetables. So vegetables are, um, we, don't, we, we need to treat our vegetables more like meat. Um, vegetables are filled with carbohydrates. Meat is filled with nitrogen. Nitrogen actually has its own volatile taste elements that are naturally seasoned. So meat comes with its own flavoring, unlike carbohydrates, which really doesn't. That's why people even eat raw meat and it has flavor. Um, Mm -hmm. with With carbohydrates, what you want to do is you want to bring those carbohydrates out. Now, what's important to know about vegetables is that vegetables have secrets. Secret, yeah. <laughs> the secret. If, if this was a fifth grade class, I'd whisper into your ear, ear Beth, vegetables have secrets, and the secret of vegetables <laughs> is vegetables. Pass it on, and it would go all the way around the room, and it would get to James, and James would say, "Yes, I know the secret of vegetables. The secret is that vegetables are sweet." And you say, "Vegetables are sweet, Laura. Vegetables aren't sweet. How about an onion?" And an onion is a great example because an onion raw is far from sweet. But when we chop that veg- that onion up and start to saute it, what happens? Yeah, caramelized. It turns brown, and the brown is caramelization. And caramelization are basically the sugars. It's the carbohydrates toasting and the sugars coming out in the food, heightening and a great example of this was yesterday. I'm here in Michigan with my 80, to be 89-year-old mother, and we cooked broccoli just by sautéing it. And I went through this whole thing about vegetables are sweet, and she was looking at me like I was kind of crazy. And we <laughs> sat down, and all we had was broccoli with a little bit of garlic and salt and sautéed. And um, she, much to my own surprise, last night, my mother took a bite and said, this broccoli is sweet. <laughs> oh, and, my uh, God. The Validation. Is, exactly. So in order to bring out the sweetness in a vegetable, and I don't know how fast I have to sum this up. Uh, oh, so no, tell no. Me there, if this is, don't worry, because uh, we have a little uh, leeway with our first commercial break. So don't worry. Oh. All righty. Well, the, the, the way to get a, caramel, a carbohydrate to caramelize is it requires a temperature of 330 degrees Fahrenheit or higher. Okay, so, is everybody making note of that 330 degrees, 30 yeah. degrees or higher for carbohydrates? Yeah. Exactly. So, are you smarter than a fifth grader? No. What, what temperature <laughs> does water boil at? Two something or other. 220? I told you I don't have a memory. 220, I think. 212 degrees Fahrenheit. 12! There it is. That. Oh, God, James. We're stupider <laughs> than fifth graders. Go, Most go for adults it, don't remember it. Don't worry. <laughs> That's something that we must, must have 100 degrees Celsius. Okay. So throw out the chemical addition of water in this equation. Your temperature doesn't even get hot enough 
when you boil and steam a vegetable to bring out that secret. And what's the secret of a vegetable? Heat. Sweetness. Vegetables are sweet. And what temperature does it require? 330. 330 degrees Fahrenheit. So you need a high, dry heat that you get from a saute, a roast, a broil, or a grill. That's how you bring out the secrets of vegetables. We don't boil and steam all of our meats, do we? God, no. So why do you boil and steam all of your vegetables? I love this. We've got to go to a commercial break now. Um, But is everybody ready for more hot tips? Oh, At yeah. three, 330 degree tips from Laura Steck. <laughs> Stick with us. We'll be back. <laughs> we'll be right back. Great. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Bring Beth into your world in person or via the Internet. Learn how by visiting her website, bethgreen.org. At the website, sign up for her newsletter to keep abreast of her latest activities, blogs, videos, and more. Just for signing up, you'll receive a free PDF copy of Living with Reality, her 688-page volume that helps us understand ourselves in relatable terms, as well as offers a proven program to heal and co-create a better world. But there's more. Learn about Beth's four other books, both fiction and nonfiction. Check out her gorgeous music, which is heartfelt and mystical. Become acquainted with Beth and James's programs for healing and training, and discover their community, the Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which welcomes you wherever you are in the world. All this and more can be found at Beth's website, www.bethgreen.org. Again, that's bethgreen.org. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're tuned in to Inside Out with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To reach us on the show, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. If you'd rather send us an email, the address is beth at bethgreen.org. Now, back to Inside Out. Well, welcome back to Inside Out. I have a million more questions for Laura, but we have callers. So maybe we should uh, give them a chance. What do you think? Yes, yes. First caller is Erica from Escondido. Erica, welcome to Inside Out. Your question for Laura. Laura, I'm I'm really just calling with appreciation because the expansion that I needed to hear today was really about expanding the nourishment, not only from what's on my plate, but to have that in the room while I'm eating, not not to sit in front of a television, not to... Uh, space out, not to use food, just to fill some kind of emptiness, but to really expand on the nourishment. And I'm so grateful. The tip about making the vegetable sweet was is just the most perfect thing I needed to hear today, too. So um, thank you for being on the show. I really want your book, and I really want to know more about just working with my own garden, my own soil. So I'm there. Totally. It's totally fun. It's great. It's great to hear. I, I thank you. I'm, I'm honored, and I have to say, you know, I come from an eating disorder background, and I think um, 
there's a lot of reasons why we use food, and for me, it was really based in a in a sugar addiction. And you know that's one of the things uh, that we it's it's good to start introducing more vegetables into one's diet, eating less sugar, eating less flour because sugar itself is addicting. The more you eat, the more you want to eat. So, and changes take time. It's not like the first time you're going to taste something, you're going to say, "Oh, that's the thing for me." I mean, some people might, but usually our taste buds are set, and then we just have to adjust them slowly so that we start introducing new things. And as we introduce new things or even new ideas, whether be about food or anything, uh, we find that we get more used to the newer things and we forget about the old things and then after a while, all of a sudden, that junk food diet that we were on just no longer makes sense to us mentally, spiritually, or physically. So, you know, don't expect to have changes overnight, but learn how to, one, cook vegetables like we were just talking about, and then two, seasoning vegetables quickly is another um, thing we could chat about. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely possible to get over um, using food for all the different reasons because I, uh, if I didn't accomplish anything in my life, that's one thing I accomplished. I healed myself from an eating disorder. Oh my um, God, that's so beautiful. And I just uh, wanted to... I, I was going to say, and I accomplished a few other things too, so... Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I want to thank you, Erica, for your call. We have amazing number of callers on the line. So... Okay, uh, I really appreciate what you said and bringing out that dimension, and thanks for sharing that uh, also, Laura, about yourself, because so many of us have eating disorders of one sort or another. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love the idea that the next time I have a a sweet craving, I'm going to go and have some broccoli. So the Mm -hmm. next person who's on the line is Elizabeth from San Diego. Hi. Thanks for taking the call. Hi. I have several questions. Um, Okay, so the 330 degrees temperature to cook vegetables, when you have an electric stove, can you give an idea? Is that like a high, a medium high, medium? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, most people when they're sautéing uh, don't turn the temperature up um, high enough. So whether you're gas or electric, you're usually on about a medium high. Now, it really depends on your own particular stove. Um, you know, my mother has a GE, and those things get hot. Um, I, in fact, I, you know, as a private chef, I... I, in the Bay Area, I cook on everybody's very wealthy, rich stoves, all the Thermidors and the Wolves. And, you know, the GE stoves are still great because they get hot. So you, you want it to be, um, you know, you are going to get some uh, smoke. Turn the fan on, open up a window. It was 20 degrees yesterday in Brighton, Michigan, but we <laughs> opened up a window and sautéed that broccoli. And, you know, it's that kind of fine balance of keeping it sautéing, getting it brown, but you don't want it to burn, and you certainly don't want any kind of fire to be happening. So medium-high is a safe bet. Okay. I had a question, though, right about that. Uh, you were talking about the oil. I always thought that if the oil was smoking, it became uh, bad for you. Yeah, you know, that I, I, what I would say to that is, is when you are sautéing, you are going to get a little bit of smoke. If it's like smoking your, your kitchen out, it's a whole different deal. Mm. Um, if you, um, you know, you, you use, a, use an oil that's good for cooking high heat. So, um, you know, some people may say it's an olive oil. Some people may not. Um, I do sauté in olive oil. Uh, mm-hmm. You can certainly go into a grapeseed oil. Um, you can go into a sesame oil, uh, peanut oil, things that have high heat um, that will be able to be stable if you have an issue with that. And if you don't, uh, if you don't want to do that at all, 
Um, you know, for, for instance, if you're grilling, you know, I would say put it on a grill. Now, people will say, oh, well, you, have, you, you get the, the marks on a grill, that means it's a bad thing. And actually, that's the issue with the hydrocyclic anamines, which I don't think I'm saying it correctly, but they are the compounds within proteins that when treated with a high heat will turn into um, unstable um, compounds. And that's the problem with grilling. But with carbohydrates, you don't have that issue. So um, try putting on a grill instead. Um, you know, will you get smoke? I mean, you're always going to get some smoke, whether you're smoking your vegetable or whether you're smoking. I mean, smoke's part of it. Don't put it on fire. <laughs> okay. One more you know, like question. Don't have, don't have a whole kit. You don't want to flame your thing up. But, you know, you are going to have <laughs> some, anytime you saute, you're going to have some kind of uh, thing come off of it. Um, well, that's good to know so that we don't feel like, oh, we're doing something wrong. So grilling, sauteing, roasting. I always noticed that roasted vegetables sounded gr- tasted better, and I didn't know why. Uh, Elizabeth, you have uh, one more question. Yeah, put it in an okay. oven. Then, you, know, you can put it on 425. Uh, 425. Did everybody write that down? Usually, I, I usually look oven. at 375, 400, but you know, when okay. you open up the oven, you're not going to get a thing of smoke. So it's, okay. uh, you want to heat, but you don't want to um, you know, set the oil on fire is what you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so which do you uh, roast it on, 375, 400, or 425? I'm confused. No, 425 is kind of hot. And, of course, the most right. important thing with cooking in your oven is that you have an understanding of what temperature your oven actually is. Um, oh, so yes. If you, have, if you don't have an oven thermometer, I really encourage people to get one um, because every oven is different. And you really never know what temperature it is unless you have an oven thermometer. So, um, but I roast 375 to 400, and it kind of depends on the oven, and it depends on what I'm roasting. But that's, that's the range that I stay in. All right. Yes, Elizabeth, you can have one okay. more question because we have other callers. But yes. you said you had um, a couple. Yeah, um, I'll go with the, uh, typically what I have for breakfast is uh, miso soup, where I'll just chop up veggies and just put them in the pot and boil them, then just let them sit. Mm-hmm. But with this new knowledge of, you know, that's not bringing out the sweetness, do you have a recommendation on how to have a healthy, quick miso soup? Or something yeah, yeah. Correct? Well, you know, certainly with miso, and one of my trains is, is in macrobiotics, so I actually know miso pretty well. And, of course, they teach you not to cook, uh, not to bring miso up to a boil because of the um, microorganisms that are living in the miso, and we don't want to kill those off, and that's the reason why you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. With a soup... Um, well, you know, a quick soup, a quick miso soup is uh, make your broth and put in it quick cooked vegetables. So put in a grated carrot, put in it chopped uh, green onions, maybe grated daikon, uh, you know, not necessarily some spinach, you know, things that don't even necessarily need to cook. That's one way to do it. Another way, and another option on a soup is to saute your vegetables before you start adding the broth. And what they tell you in culinary that does is lock in the flavor of the vegetables and give it a little bit of caramelization on the outside. Um, so, you know, if you're eating a soup, you're not as, as um, you know, I don't think we expect our vegetables in a soup to be as caramelized as we would if we were eating them by themselves because they're surrounded in a broth, and the broth should have flavor too. You know, one of the reasons why we want to caramelize vegetables is because vegetables by themselves 
um, don't have a lot of deeper flavor. Again, the carbohydrates are more, in a sense, fresh, and what we want to do is we want to deepen that flavor so that we, get, we treat our vegetables more like meat. So if we're eating them by themselves... Uh, with a, with some kind of seasoning or even a simple thing like oil oil and salt, uh, then I prefer a roast. But in a soup, mm, I'm not really that concerned about bringing out that sweetness. Even though a little sauté with the onion and the carrot and the celery, the mirepoix, the French would call it, um, before you start adding uh, the broth, is you know is a good is a good technique. Great. Great. Thanks. Great Thank question, you. Elizabeth. Thank you so much for calling. Now we have Helen from California. Hi, Hi. Helen. <clears throat> Thanks for taking my call. Um, my question is around um, getting enough protein on a vegan diet. I tried to be vegan for about six months, but I'm, uh, I won't go into why, but I'm, I'm not supposed to eat soy and so I had a really, really hard time eating enough protein. Can you shed some light on how that might be handled? Absolutely. Well, you know, everybody's different in nutritional requirements. I don't know what happened there. But, um, everyone's different with nutritional requirements. So it's impossible for, um, really, it's really impossible in a sense for science right now to understand exactly what all of us need. You know, we don't have that type of science in nutritional uh, dietitian science. So that's, that, that's for the future. So, um, you know, until then we go with the standard requirements and we wonder if we're getting enough. And certainly one of the ways is how do we feel? Do you feel tired? Um, do you feel you're not full enough? Um, you know, those could be things that a little bit more protein may help. Um, if you're not doing... Uh, you know, depending on the reason why you don't want to eat animal products or fish or whatever that might be, if you really don't want to eat any of those at all and you can't eat soy, then, you know, certainly move into the beans is, is, your, is, your, is your best bet. Uh, make sure you're eating a lot of good beans. And uh, you may move into something like um, the wheat gluten or what they call seitan, which is basically bread dough where all the starch and the bran has been squeezed out of that out of it, and the only thing left is the protein. Um, of course, then you've also got nut butters, uh, depending on what your issue is with those that are filled with proteins. And, um, you, you know, you may go into, you don't want to eat meat, but then a little bit of, uh, you know, some kind of dairy might be good for you or an egg might be good, you know. So there are a lot of different options. Um, certainly going back to the old times of we need to eat more protein than we need anything else. Um, I think that uh, myth has been debunked many times over, and the older we get, the less protein we need. But the interesting thing about protein is when you talk to people and you talk to them about reducing their amount of protein, their amount of meat, what do you think their most common response is? What? What do I eat? If I'm going to oh. cut out my meat, yeah. what do I eat? And so yeah. that's where it comes in, you know, making sure that you're eating those whole grains and whole grains, not, not uh, flours, but, you know, get yourself uh, a whole, some whole grains and learn how to cook them. Uh, the book talks a good uh, part about all the different ways you can cook whole grains. And then, you know, then vegetables. I mean, the problem with cutting down on meat is people just aren't eating anything else besides meat and flour. That's what we eat as Americans. And mm-hmm. so, you know, beef is the biggest thing there. So we really need to start looking at grains, whole grains, and we need to look at how to have a plate of vegetables. And for dinner sometimes, you know, I'll, um, I, I'll eat a, a, a whole head of broccolini. Um, you know, and then you eat, and, um, 
And what I'd like to say with that is uh, some concept about variation causes us to eat more, but I'm not going to go into that whole topic. So make sure you're eating your vegetables and grains and then look for your protein in other ways and, and really determine for yourself how much you need because definitely the four food groups, that idea that meat and, you know, meat and dairy were a food group of, unto themselves has you know, been cha- debunked even by uh, the USDA themselves. So. Well, and Laura isn't suggesting that nobody should ever eat meat or fish. Oh, no, and the book doesn't even suggest that. In no. fact, you know, we are one no. of the people that are looking at the, the, the ways, what do they say, you know, 80% of the population eats meat one or more times a, um, a week. And so, you know, really we have to look at how meat is going to help solve the problems associated with the global warming and climate change and just, you know, planet denigration. Um, because, you know, actually the hooved animals have a very um, beautiful story in relationship to the health of the prairie lands and uh, the role that the hooved animals play in making healthy prairie lands. And um, that's a whole story in its own right, and we definitely talk about it in the book. You know, I'd love you to follow up. Thanks for calling, Helen. We do have a few more callers, but I'd like you, and, you know, just hang on there, guys, if you're calling in. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you after the next uh, break. But I'd love you to follow up a little bit about this, because I think, that people have an idea that in order to eat healthy, they have to not do this or not do that, and then they say, okay, how can I make this work? Rather than saying, you know, this doesn't work, but what will work? And then when you started talking about the beautiful story of the hoofed animals, I really want to hear that because you're, you are really uh, pr- uh, promoting a much more balanced approach to everything, I think, than so many people are afraid that they're going to hear. And exactly. that's what well, you know, I'll, 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 I'll stop you right there and say, first off, it's not about not eating something. When, if you're trying to change your diet, don't think about what you shouldn't be eating. You want to learn options. You want to know more about what to eat. So it's not, I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't do that, because then you end up not being able to do anything. So right. it's really teaching yourself how to eat more vegetables, how to eat more grains, how to use meat as a condiment. Um, you can season a whole dish with two, teaspo- two tablespoons or one tablespoon of ground beef. Just saute that into your oil before you add your sautéed vegetables and saute them all up together, and all of a sudden, wow, I have that flavor that I enjoy, as well as my sweet, sweetened uh, vegetables, my secreted vegetables. So we can use meat as a condiment as compared to using it as a main dish, and that's a great way to get that rich flavor out of it. But going back to the story about the hooved animals, um, the prairie is an ecosystem in its own right that has um, evolved in relationship to the hooved animals, specifically in our history, the buffalo, um, because like the forest, does not have trees with leaves. And one of the neat things about the forest is the leaves fall on the ground and they feed the ground and then that feeds the soil and then that feeds the tree. But in the prairie, there are no things that lose their leaves. So how does the prairie regenerate itself? And one of the ways that we've come to understand is the hooved animals have had a key role in this because... Uh. They're walking over the backs of Mother Nature. They're giving her a beautiful massage. They're aerating her soil, 
stimulating her microbes, which is something that we're really, in fact, the next, my book is just is going to be about the life in the soil and the life inside us, that microbiome that we're, science is just starting to understand right now. Right, there's a whole circus going on underneath the soil that we don't even see. The whole Horton hears the who mentality is living down there, and science is only getting to understand that um, we need to stimulate them, we need to feed them, we need to uh, water them, and who does that for us but the hooved animals? And uh, so they're walking on the backs of Mother Nature, massaging her and aerating her soil, and they're pooping and peeing, and they're, they're chewing on the grasses, and they're stimulating the roots of the grasses to when, when a cow bites onto grass, the grass is in survival mode and because something just bit its head off. So it actually shoots part of its roots into the soil as a way to be able to save itself. It like gets rid of part of itself and then that feeds the soil too. And then, of course, when we say feeding the soil, well, we're not just feeding dirt. We're feeding life, which is doing its own pooping and peeing and, 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 and eating up micronutrients and actually sharing that micronutrients with the plants and the plant's yeah. roots. And it's a beautiful dance. And um, hooved animals have a purpose on this planet. We've just put them in factory farms and abused them, taken uh, them off. Right, right. I've got to stop you, Laura, because we've got to go to our, uh, our last commercial break. Stay with us. We have so many callers. I haven't even had a chance to ask you what your credentials are, but nobody cares. Laura, you're just going to have to come back because I feel like we're just scratching the surface. So stick around as we go to commercial back, and we'll be back with Laura Steck, author of Cool Cuisine, Taking the Bite Out of Global Warming. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Bring Beth into your world in person or via the Internet. Learn how by visiting her website, bethgreen.org. At the website, sign up for her newsletter to keep abreast of her latest activities, blogs, videos, and more. Just for signing up, you'll receive a free PDF copy of Living with Reality, her 688-page volume that helps us understand ourselves in relatable terms, as well as offers a proven program to heal and co-create a better world. But there's more. Learn about Beth's four other books, both fiction and nonfiction. Check out her gorgeous music, which is heartfelt and mystical. Become acquainted with Beth and James's programs for healing and training and discover their community, the Stream Center for the New Spirituality, which welcomes you wherever you are in the world. All this and more can be found at Beth's website, www.bethgreen.org. Again, that's bethgreen.org. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. tuned in to Inside Out with Beth Green and co-host James Maynard. To reach us on the show, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. If you'd rather send us an email, the address is beth at bethgreen.org. Now, back to Inside Out. 
Hi, welcome back to Inside Out with Laura Steck, the author of Cool Cuisine, Taking the Bite Out of the Global Warming. Well, we have three more callers, and we have barely scratched the surface, and I've already told Laura she's going to have to come back. So let us, so let me ask you very quickly before I give our callers a chance, do you think vegetables should be eaten raw? Um, what do I what do I think about eating raw? Did you say? Yeah, raw vegetables. Well, you know, there's a lot about raw versus cooked, and raw foods have their benefits, and cooked foods have their benefits. Um, some people can't digest raw foods very well. Mm-hmm. Um, other people, once you c- cook uh, foods, some of those um, nutrients are lost in the uh, process of cooking. Yeah. Um, what's really important is that we know, well, macrobiotics, it teaches us that raw foods are for building up and for building up our constitution. And cooked food, I mean, uh, uh, excuse me, raw foods are for breaking down, they're for cleansing and breaking down things within mm. our constitution. Cooked foods are for building up our constitution. Um, depending on what season it is, uh, raw foods are better uh, in, the, in the spring and the summer. Cooked foods are better in the wintertime. There's a whole story behind that. But the bottom line is, is make sure no matter if you're eating raw or cooked, because sometimes raw food is better with nutrients and sometimes cooked food is better and sometimes digestions act differently, yeah. make sure that you chew. People don't chew their food enough. In macrobiotics, they taught us to chew every bite 30 bites, 30 times. That might be too much. No matter if it's raw or cooked. All right. Thank you. Next, our next caller is Chris from Vista. Welcome, Chris. Do we, yeah, hi, everybody will have to ask a quick question. What would you like to know, Chris? Here's my quick question for Laura. When I have to eat out for um, business reasons and travel reasons, what do you suggest, Laura? Well, um, I suggest that you, I mean, it depends on where you are, I guess is, is what it would be. Um, I, so I'm traveling right now, and I, um, when I'm going out on an airplane, you know, it's true. You walk around, it's like, where can you find actual vegetables? Not that much. So just start paying attention more to what people, if there's vegetable dishes today, I was in the mall, I looked at all the, I was hungry, I looked at all the food court, I ended up going to, yeah, one of the Asian places, and I asked just for a side bowl of vegetables, and that was fine, and I really didn't need a whole meal at that point. Um, certainly, you can bring your own stuff, and I actually teach a class about, um, you know, traveling. Um, it's, it's, it's easy to bring grains, so like rice balls are a good thing, they last a long time, they don't need refrigeration, and you can stuff them with different types of vegetables and bring a little bit of soy sauce on the side, and that's a great, uh, a great thing. Um, I, you know, salads get old, so think about, um, you know, a, a, something warm with that is always nice, so obviously a soup and salad is great. And depends on where you are in the country. You know, now if you go around to different places around California, and I know that we're kind of far um, along, but it, you know, it, you, you know, you can you can go to the Whole Foods um, uh, hot bar and get yourself a whole plate of vegetables. So find those places where might they might be able to have hot bars that have different types of vegetable options. And if you're you know out in the middle of uh, the South. Um, you really have to think about bringing uh, foods in, and you know what travels well is roasted vegetables. Mm. That's a great idea. Chris, uh, got to let you go, but thank you so much for your call. Thank you. Um, 
Okay, uh, the next person is Annette from L.A. Hello. Hi, Hello. Annette. Hi. Um, I'm in my car, so my reception might not be that good, and I'm with my daughter, Faith, who's 11 years old. Can you say hi, Faith? Hello. And um, I'm curious about getting kids to eat more vegetables and school lunches. I love the idea of the rice balls because that's something I've never thought of for a school lunch. Well, you know, I actually write a column for our local newspaper in the Bay Area. It's called The Food Party, and I wrote it for the Mountain View uh, Voice and the Miller Park Almanac. And I just wrote a column that says, who says kids don't eat vegetables? You know, I've been teaching kids for a long time. Um, if your kid doesn't eat vegetables, probably because you don't eat vegetables. I'm not saying for you in <laughs> particular, but, you know, first off, the parent has to eat vegetables. They have to know how to cook them. Um, I have done classes with children in schools for years um, uh, roasted vegetables, bringing out the sweetness, e- even turns on the inner city kids in Oakland, California, who have no exposure to vegetables at all. So now wow. is the season for roasted root vegetables. Think about using those special techniques. Um, uh, another thing that I've been doing with kids with vegetables is uh, Asian lettuce wraps. You can make them vegan, you can make a vegetarian, you can make them obviously with ground beef, and, and they're great to use up the leftovers in your refrigerator, any of these little pieces of vegetables that you just need to finish. Um, sauteing things, cutting up the vegetables small uh, is one way to fit it into a lettuce wrap, but it's also a good way for us as eaters who are getting used to vegetables to eat more vegetables. If I'm taking a salad bar from wherever, and I usually take a little bit of that cauliflower and broccoli, but because the pieces are larger, I find that by the time I get to the end of my salad, usually the larger pieces are left. So cut your vegetables smaller. If you saute them and put them into a lettuce cup with some, you know, peanut sauce or an almond sauce or even a tahini sauce if someone has a nut allergy, um, that's another good way to get kids to eat vegetables. So try the, try the roasted vegetables. And if you want to put a little apple juice, you know, roast them with uh, olive oil and salt and then put a little juice, uh, apple juice on the bottom of the pan and then the apple juice glazes onto the vegetable and you even get it even sweeter. Amazing. A, and we have that's to change a great our idea. attitude. Thank you. Thank you, Annette. We have to change our attitude so we don't feel like we're forcing the kids to do something that they're going to hate. Our next caller is Anne from Sacramento. Hi, Anne. Welcome to Inside Out. I don't think we've ever heard from you. <laughs> Hi, Beth. It's Anne um, that you already know. Oh, me, it's Anne Sacramento. that I know who's in Sacramento. Okay. <clears throat> and I'm in the airport, so I'm sorry if it's loud. And oh, okay. I didn't hear the earlier part, so I hope if this is already covered. I'm sorry. Um, but I have questions about eating meat and soy. I've heard those things are good for the, I mean, bad for the environment. Like, I've heard that meat is, like, one of the best things you can do for climate change is stop eating meat. Um, and soy, I'm wondering if that's good for the environment or not to grow. Okay, well, we did cover the issue of meat to some degree, so we'll ask um, uh, for just for Laura just to address the soy issue. Thanks okay. for calling, the question, Anne. The question, uh-huh. the question is, is, is growing soy good or bad for the environment? Yes. Well, you know, the thing with um, the way that we process food in this country is is that we make these monocrop fields of, you know, miles and miles and miles of the same food, and that's one of the ways um, soy and corn are the two biggest offenders of that. Um, we grow most of the soy and the corn to feed the animals, and then we eat, uh, you know, we feed the animals, you know, that then we eat the animals, which, of course, is a secondhand source of, um, of, of protein. But, um, you know, anything grown in a monocrop is not going to be good for the environment. If you look out into nature, 
uh, nowhere do we see miles and miles and miles of the same thing in, in natural environment. Now, you may say the prairie is that, but it's so far from that. There are so many different kinds of species that are growing of plants and legumes and, and tubers that are growing in the actual prairie grass. So the idea, and the reason why nature does that is, is it's a natural pesticide. Um, you know, you have a bug and it goes on to a plant and it eats that plant all up because it likes it, but it jumps onto the next plant and that plant it doesn't like and so the bug dies. So um, it's just a natural way to keep things in balance. It also keeps the soil in balance. Remember, there's a whole life force going on in the soil that we don't even really understand yet. Um, so we want things to grow in, um, in, in, in permaculture. We want things to grow with many different plants that are growing. And soy, we grow it in these monofields, which is just a terrible way. Um, so if we're going to grow soy as a regular uh, thing in the environment um, with healthy growing practices in permaculture where we were using different plants. That's good. But we have to realize that both soy and another similar food, wheat, actually take a lot out of the soil in order to grow. So in order to grow a field of wheat, you have to set the wheat field before with some legumes, you know, barley and millet, different, you just can't grow wheat on the same field for years and years and years. You need to vary that agriculture, and it's the same thing with soy. We need to realize that soy and wheat take a lot out of our environment, and in order to eat these plants, we're going to have to eat things that we're not that used to, such as barley and millet and legumes and things and uh, you know um, pea shoots and things that prepare the soil to grow these plants that take a lot out of it. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. I have to interrupt you because we are like out of time, and I uh-huh. want to give people thank you, Anne. Uh, I'm sorry for the other caller who's left hanging, uh, but um, I'd like Laura to, first of all, I think that what you're talking about is bringing our consciousness into everything we do. We have enough information about food, about growing, about animals, about the prairie, even though we're still at a kind of a, an early stage, that if we bring that awareness into what we're doing, then we don't have to stop doing things that we want to do, but we start doing them in a different way, in a way that's healthier on every level. So, Laura, tell us how people can get in touch with you really quick. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, if you Google Laura Steck, you'll, I'm the first person to come up. So whether you find me on my website, laurasteck.com, um, that's L-A-U-R-A-S-T-E-C, or under Cool Cuisine, Taking the Bite Out of Global Warming, which you can find on Amazon, and then you can find me. So um, I'm the first person to come up, and other than that, um, yeah, you can find me in many different ways. If you just look gloomy online, I, 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 I'll pop up from the newspaper, I'll pop up from Amazon, <laughs> I'll pop up just from my own. And, um, yeah, thank you for, uh, just for uh, your listeners, uh, really quick, variation causes us to eat more. Uh, that's a good thing. Um, the junk food industry knows that. That's why there's 15 flavors of Doritos. We want to take that idea and put it into healthful foods. We want to have a, a, a broccoli that's seasoned in a Mexican way, a carrot that's seasoned in an Italian way, and a Brussels sprout that's seasoned in an Asian way. And if we'll have to come have Laura come back to give us more tips because we are literally running out of time, and James has to tell us about next week's show, and then I'll come and thank you if we still have a second. James. 
Yes, our next week's show is uh, on the theme, April in Paris, giving up delusions for the new year. Okay, so it's not April, it's not Paris. Why the title? Because many of us are so delusional in our thinking that we might as well be announcing that it's April in Paris. And so this show is about how we kid ourselves, uh, about how smart we are, how nice we are, how much in love, how accomplished, how rich, how poor, creative, honest, oppressed, misunderstood, or whatever we are. And we really believe it. We also delude ourselves about how rational we are, reasonable, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So we exaggerate or we minimize. What's your biggest delusion about yourself? Why do you believe it and are you ready to give it up? Join us as we bust through our delusional thinking. I want to thank you, James, but I have to interrupt you. Thank you, Laura. Bless you. We didn't even hardly get into the topic, but there is so much to learn. I'm so (laughs) grateful that you're here and that you have made yourself available to our audience and to us today. God bless. And Let's change the world with great tasting food. Together yes! we can make a great yeah. meal and a great difference. Yay! Hey. Okay, thanks. Yes. Bye bye, everyone. Bye bye. Thank you for making us a part of your week. Listen for the next edition of Inside Out with Beth Green and James Maynard next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Seventh Wave Channel. Have a great week. Thank you.